podcast listeners. <laughs> My okay. name is Patricia Gross Brewer. And I'm John Brewer. And we are a married couple, and we are the hosts of the podcast Up To and Including Death. Correct. That's what this is. And we just had four days of camping. Yes. It's a fun time had by all. It was 95 degrees. Yeah, just right. <laughs> it was very hot. Uh, luckily, the lake was, what, 46 degrees? 49. 49 degrees, which is quite funny to me because I'm from Tybee Island, Georgia, where the lake is not 49 degrees. It is an ocean and it's much warmer. That yeah. is what I'm used to. But none of the kids complained about it being cold. No, the kids quite liked it. They had a good time, I think. Good time was had by all. Yeah. We went to the we went to a place called Barriga, which is south of where we live, but only by about an hour or so. And yeah. there was a lot of fun stuff. There was a children's parade, and there was a bunch of you know booths for food. Well, a booth for food <laughs> yeah, by the local yeah. fire department. Very good hamburgers. Oh boy, they were good. And we had some bubble tea, boba. Yeah. All the kids got to try boba uh, that wanted to, which was also really cool. Yeah, they all seem to enjoy that too. Yeah, we went. Kids went swimming every day, and I read a bunch of the stand. <laughs> wow, that's appropriate. So much of the stand, and it is so good, and makes every cough and sneeze <laughs> terrifying. As if uh, COVID didn't already do that for you. I know, right? Well, I remember when COVID first started, and I went to this um. This uh, this talk at Finlandia, one of my colleagues was giving a talk, and her her daughter was there, and her granddaughter was there. And the granddaughter is this little toddler, and she had a cold. And everybody in the room, you could hear, as, she, as my friend is giving this really quite beautiful lecture, um, my everyone could hear this toddler go, <coughs> and she had a really, you know, one of those little kid colds that's really gross and sticky. Uh, and that was when they're like, oh, COVID, you don't have any of that. It's not, there's no sneezing, and, and except there is. <laughs> but everyone in the room was thinking, we should have not been here. This was a terrible choice. What were we thinking? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stares at coughs and sneezes for quite a while. Yeah, yes. But we don't have to do that anymore because we're vaccinated. Plus, we already had it. Uh, and we had a really good time in Baraga, and except the, the park there was both the best and the most crowded one I've ever been to, I think, so far. Not the best. It was the best in the sense of having stuff to do for the kids. We did zero of the programming that they offered, but they had at the Baraga State Park. Yes. Uh, at the campgrounds, uh, the campgrounds there, they gave us trash bags, and they gave us a good map of the park and explained how to get to our lot, and then they uh, gave us a map of the region and pointed out the waterfalls that were around that we could hike to. There's multiple hikes we can do, and they had a whole week of activities for at, like, morning, noon, and night for the kids. Yeah. We did none of them. No, we were pretty busy. We already had things to do in Yeah, town. but it was very surprising and exciting, and I thought that was really cool if anyone ever wants to go down there. It's good for an RV park, too. Yeah, a lot of RV spots. And an awesome playground. Yeah, kids all had a good time. <laughs> there was one kid that uh, was very cute and three years old, and I was there at the park with our youngest, reading the stand, and this kid kept passing me to go get more water, and he was so adorable but he kept, you know, showing me his empty glasses and saying, I'm getting water. And then going to get water and then coming back with water, spilling it all more on himself. Uh, because they decided to make a water slide 
out of the slide. And the mom was in the in the RV cooking. She could see them. I'd already talked to her that day. But the mom comes out there. She's like, you guys have taken too much water. Because I assume they were just taking it from, like, the family pump or whatever. I don't know where they're getting this water from. But it was 95 degrees. And I feel like water is not a resource you want to make a water slide on when there's a lake right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, right there. Oh, but it was very cute. And eventually the kid, I guess, didn't like having a wet uh, shirt. So he took all of his clothes off. And the mom comes screaming out, like, put your clothes on. And she's chasing after him. And (laughs) he's just running around. She's like, come home. You're coming back. And he starts to cover himself. And then he's just walking with his hands on his hips. Being stupid. (laughs) It's so cute. It reminded me of my nephews. It was adorable. Um, So (laughs) you had some fun experiences with the kids. You got to go hang out with your your youths. You got to play music. Yeah. It wasn't anything too crazy, but it was fun time with the kids, and everybody had a blast. Yeah, it's kind of nice when there's, like, a little bit of Wi-Fi, but not that much. So the kids could have this feeling of being connected, but they really weren't, so they were forced to, like, be with each other, and I love that. They could message and things, but they couldn't, like, watch TV or stream anything on their phone. So they had to just be together it was kind of awesome (laughs) so we had a little mistake last week it was all my fault how so well i thought i would be good and change up the website and do some reorganizing and i accidentally changed the url slug for rss feed and it made all of our podcasts go away (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but luckily, I, I keep backups, but also it was all still it was all still there, but I'd accidentally changed the, the RSS feed. Uh, so we found it again. Yeah, so the Supernatural bonus plot pod was a little bit late. I was so annoyed because the goal is to have it come out at 8 o'clock every Thursday. So this comes out at 3 a.m. on Tuesdays. I don't think this one's ever been late. No, night. No. Unless, no, the first time it oh. was because I th- that was when we were still figuring out how to do it. Um, but the, the supernatural one, I had this theme in my mind of wanting it to be when supernatural came out, you know, but that's okay. We all make mistakes and I made a big one. So my bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's all fine now. And I also wanted to say, I don't know if I'm looking at, at, at podcast analytics correctly, because it's not my job to look at the analytics. It's your job because you understand this kind of stuff. But you can't access as easily the podcast stuff on my on the Apple end because it's all in my name because I have Apple products. Yeah. And so and an i the iCloud account or whatever. So, but we have a lot of listeners from New York, that's apparently. What it looks like, and that's wonderful. Hello from New York City, or wait, <laughs> hello New York City. Wow. <laughs> He's just shaking his head at me. Hello from the Kiwana, New York City. I like your city a lot. It's been, I've visited quite a few times when I lived in Philly and before, and it is a good time, and we are hoping to go there in March. Well, not to the city, but to a very special place called Long Island. Yes. And why will we be doing that in March? See an Islander game at the new UBS Arena. The new UBS Arena. You like the Islanders just a little bit, huh? Yeah, just just a little bit. <laughs> that is the understatement of the century. John is a huge Islanders fan, but you have never been to New York. Nope. The farthest east you've now been is Savannah, Georgia. Yep. Uh, but before that, the farthest east was like... Chicago. Or, Chicago. No, Detroit, I guess. Detroit. So so you get to finally go. Yeah. 
I'm looking forward to it. One of my bridesmaids, I'm trying to trick her into going with us because she's a good time. I think I know I've named her on this podcast, but she knows who she is. She's had a good fun time. And she already agreed to it. Does she remember agreeing to this thing last year? I don't know. I don't know, but she agreed to it. So it's basically like a contract. It is a contract. Exactly. We'll take her on <laughs> Judge Judy if she doesn't come. Yeah. John and I watch so much Judge Judy. It's awesome. But she's changing too. Judge Judy? Yeah. Should we yeah. do a Judge Judy watch for oh. the show? No. We just like Judge Judy. I learned so much about rules. It would just be angry yelling at people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you doing this? Why are you so terrible? Pay your bills. <laughs> why are you saying that this is a loan when you clearly were dating this person and just gave them money? Um, just don't give loans you can't, you know, that you're okay with not getting back. Yeah. Does that make sense, that sentence? Basically, you should give a loan as a gift, and if they pay you back, that's great. And speaking of that, um, can you give me that 50 bucks that I lent you earlier? I don't remember that ever happening. <laughs> it never happened. It never happened. Okay, so we had a good time on 4th of July. Yeah. I've been reading so much of The Stand, and I am very upset that a certain character is still alive in the book <laughs> so far. I'm a little bit more than halfway through. And Harold is not only... The pimple-faced kid from the last episode that is an aspiring writer that's the worst. Not only is he in it, but he's, like, in it. Like, he's a main character, a major character anyway. And if he kills my sweet, darling Franny or the very strong but sensitive Stu, I'm going to be ticked off. Well, we get to find out what happens on the miniseries yes. as compared to the book. Yes, that is true because we're not this is not a Stephen King's The Stand book review podcast. This is Stephen King's The Stand miniseries podcast, That's which was produced in nineteen ninety four. That is correct. I did it, guys. I did it. So do you wanna give people another kind of review of what we talked about last time, just really quick about this? Well we had the plague released. Nice. And uh the MP who was guarding the uh, military base that it leaked from mm-hmm. haphazardly crossed three states and spread it all over the place. And people Excellent. are dying and getting sick. And we met a few of our main characters who yeah. were not getting sick. And seriously, uh, some of them being rounded up by the military. And now that's where we left off, right? Yeah, it was Gary student. Sinise got out. Yep. Uh, and everyone's pretty much dead at this stage. Uh, Franny, for her dad is dead. Uh, we don't know much else besides that. He died in bed, and she... Did she... Okay. I, I don't know that she's buried him yet. Um, but, so, Franny's dad is dead. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot... A lot is going on. Uh, Larry Underwood, his mom is dead. Yep. And, uh, yeah... There's not uh, a lot happened, but a lot of it was the setting up stage for part two, the dreams, and that's we have seen some dreams. Oh, and Nick Andros, played by the amazing half deaf half deaf actor Rob Lowe. I wonder if that helped him play a fully deaf character. I wonder if he already knew some sign. Probably. I mean, it's Rob freaking Lowe. He probably knows like a lot of languages. He knows everything. I think he's pretty cool. <laughs> And he's half deaf in my same year as me. It's so exciting. Yeah, that's great news. Eh? <laughs> I'm sure that he's like cool about it. I bet he's like me. He's like, oh, another person that's half deaf. Cool. 
Yeah. As he's like swimming in his swimming pools of dollar bills and and, and, and just like taking showers with diamonds. All all those sweet, sweet parks and rec dollars. Mm. Um, So, what do you think, John? Oh, so part two is called The Dreams. And we already met Miss Abigail, Mother Abigail. Mother Abigail. Who is in Nebraska and she's telling people to come and see her. Yeah, Stu and Nick have dreamt about her so far, correct? Yeah. Nobody else has. Nobody else has jumped over yet, but we have a lot more people to meet up with because I thought that there was a lot of people in the part of the book that I was on, but I was incorrect. There's so more people. There's so many people in this book. It's so interesting. That's why when we stated last week, 125 speaking roles in this miniseries. And I can't imagine they have all the speaking roles that are in the book because there's so many people and man, I got to say, Stephen King is so good at, he gives you, there's a section in which he talks about not the people that died of a plague of the plague, but the people that died of the secondary plague. And these are the people that died because they got hurt and couldn't get medical care. They died because they tried to shoot somebody and the gun exploded in their hand, that kind of stuff. They died because of a cold or whatever. And, or they were old and they passed away naturally. And so it's so, but he does it in a way that you get this short vignette where you just see the picture of this little girl riding her bicycle and falling off the bicycle and cracking her head open, and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's pretty... It's sad, but it's also so powerful. It shows how much we rely on each other in the world. Yeah. And when there's no help, immediate help, you're in trouble from what we would consider something very small. And coming together, I think, is might be the theme of this episode, but maybe we should get started. I think we should. All right. Um, do you think that now that everybody in the rest of the world is dead, you know, and we're the only ones in this town alive, do you think that maybe, uh, we, maybe we should uh, be together? We'll still be friends. We'll always be friends. <laughs> He's, he's quite possibly the last man on earth. And, and she, Molly Ringwald's like, yeah, no. No, I'm good. So Molly, the whole episode starts with her uh, sewing the shroud onto her father. And in the book, okay. Thank you, Loki. That's great, bud. Um, <laughs> he just walked across the thing. Uh, so He's so cute. I miss him so much while camping. So in the book, she does the, her own shroud. She carries her own father down herself, and she buries him herself. Yeah. But in the in the in this one, she's like, "Oh, I'm so hot and tired. Can you help me, Harold?" Yeah. Oh well, man, this I don't guy know why. sucks so hard. But in the, I mean, I hate him less now. But we'll see how they portray him because he's pretty gross in the book immediately. Yeah. Well, you could see why he would be gross. Yeah. Like, like, in the book, he eats, like, chocolate paydays and just leaves the wrappers everywhere. But he's just so... I mean, he's such an angry kid where he's oh, talking yeah. about... Everybody makes fun of him in school and yeah, they give him wedgies. All these imbeciles that make fun of me. It's like, maybe that's why they make funny in school, but maybe then, you calm down. Yeah, and he's like, and I want them back. Crazy, isn't it? Uh-huh. And she's like, yeah, I want them back. Too, and cause... her face, when she talks to him, as she's trying to be like... She talks to him like he's a child. Because he is. He is 16. And she's like 27 or 25 or something like that, even in the book. One thing that I didn't realize when we were originally watching it last time is that while written in 1978, the book was set in 1990. Yeah, so it fits. Yeah, it fits really well, and I really like that. That's really cool. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> that's pretty much all where we are. Marley Ringwald and Harold are trying to decide to go to Stovington, which is where our intrepid Mr. Stew was at. Yes, at the Vermont Medical Research Center. Yeah, the, the, it's the Vermont uh, Plague Research Center, something. Something like that. All right, let's keep going. What a friend we have in Jesus. Yep. Oh, Abigail. <laughs> Mother Abigail. We got to see her in the pooper. In, yep. Well, she just she she was thanking God for dates. Prunes. Prunes. They do the trick, but they taste all awful. I kind of love prunes, though, but I imagine her prunes that she got at this, you know, might have been off or something. <laughs> it's been a few weeks since there was people. Yeah. And so basically, we just had we went from uh, Molly Ringwald to Larry Underwood. Yes. Who is met Nadine? Yeah, who's a little off. She's a little off, and I think that so in the teleplay they've kind of collapsed two characters together. So he meets a woman in New York who dies on the way, and then he meets Nadine. And so, but he's met Nadine now. Who so both Larry Underwood has dreamed of Mother Abigail. Nadine's not dreaming of Mother Abigail. She must have, though, because she knew she was black. Oh, yes. That's like, so he says, I've been dreaming of an old woman. And she's like, oh, so you have, usually have dreams of black old women? And it's interesting. Larry Underwood did not catch that, though. No, he did not. Yeah. But she did. She was thinking. We got to see her in her thoughts. Yeah. About her dreams. Yes. Which was not Mother Abigail. A very sexy dream with a creepy, creepy demon. And fire and... Yeah, fire and brimstone and Nadine's his girl. Yep. Yep. That's pretty cool. So they're going to Nebraska. Mother Abigail is thinking about, you know, talking to God and uh, and thinking about things. And she gets to meet the bad boy, Randall Flagg. Yeah. Just for a minute. Yeah. And then she prays to Jesus to take that vision of evil away. And he does. Yeah. Now, I assume they're going to talk about the shine a little bit. But in the book, they talk about the shine a lot. Yeah. Not a lot, but a little bit to understand, like, why all these people can have these. They all know to go to Nebraska or they're going out to California to join Randall Flag. Like, there's two, like, groups of people. And there's, like, some people that think it's Jesus that sent them or the devil. And some people think it's, like, psychic. Yeah. And you can't forget about one of the best characters in this whole thing that we just got to meet. Yes. Trash Can Man. I'm not a huge fan of him in the book, but, yeah, Trash Can Man... He's entertaining. He is incredibly entertaining. He just blew up a bunch of uh, a bunch of oil refinery stuff. Yeah. And he's joined Randall Flagg as a right-hand man or something. Yeah, keeps saying, my life for you. My life for you. My life for you, John. That should have been our, in our honeymoon vows, our honeymoon vows, on our wedding vows. My oh, yeah. life for you, John. Um, all right, that's it. <laughs> I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to stop and get a, a little catch up. Not a lot has happened. We got to talk about the magical Negro character, caricature-ish thing going on with Mother, Mother Abigail and whether or not she is one, um, and talk about that. But we don't have to right now. We can wait for a little bit. Okay. Okay. Goodbye. Gross dude alert. Oh, Larry Underwood? Yeah. Just a little rapey. So, this is a question I have for you. Okay. In your opinion, was Larry Underwood just depicted as a bit rapey, or is it rapey now in 2021? 
that were watching this thing from 1994. Larry Underwood basically, so he's gotten out of the city with Nadine. They've gotten, and they're in New Jersey. They're heading west to Nebraska. They're in, in Piperstown or something like that, Pennsylvania, yep. in a tent. And he's like on top of her trying to make out. And she's saying no. And he's like, come on. And, he, and it's like still kissing her and stuff like that. And she says no like four times. And then finally he gets off. He's like, you know, I want you right. Um, and so the question is like, now in 2021, we're like, that's pretty rapey. But then. It was pretty rapey. Though. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Because 1994, I was like nine. But okay. So <laughs> I didn't really know. But the thing is like. This sort of representation of the pushing thing is in the book, too, and it's sort of juxtaposed juxtaposed directly against Stu and Franny. And what Stu tells Harold when he eventually meets him, which is, if a woman doesn't want to have sex with you, you have two choices. One is rape, and the other is your hand. I, myself, have always chosen my hand. And at first, I thought it was a dirty joke about, like, flicking the bean or whatever. <laughs> but it's actually about you just go masturbate and leave her alone. And you yeah. don't push the matter. And so, like, the Larry Underwood is still becoming a better person, but he's been a shit his whole life. Not fully evil, but, like, not good either. And I think this is a really good representation of that. He's like, he's not raping her, but it's still pretty shitty. Yeah. Right? I mean, he did stop, but only after he tried a few times. Yeah. Which is pretty shitty. Nadine doesn't want to, though. She doesn't. It's almost... She's maybe saving herself for someone better. Someone of the devilish persuasion. Yeah, someone much better. (laughs) With a big mullet. With a big mullet. We met Mr. Randall Flagg and his beautiful... Oh, it's such a wonderful mullet. Canadian tuxedo as well. (sighs) Yeah. Fantastic. He's freed our murderer from the prison, the fellow that just murdered all these people. Um, and he also has met Trash Can Man. Yep. And... He said he's going to put the murderer above Trash Can Man. Oh. I don't think that's fair. But he told Trash Can Man that he was going to be But Trash Can Man one. really, really wants to be number one. Yeah, you know. This guy is still kind of leery about following this crazy guy. Yeah. But. And good old Stu has met up with the, uh, with a, an old man yep. and a dog named Kojak. Just painting away. Painting away, because what else are you going to do, you know, in the apocalypse? So, he's painting away in the apocalypse. Uh, We have not seen... I'm sure we're going to see a scene with Harold soon, but God, I hate Harold. (laughs) Yeah, He's the absolute worst. I can tell you right now, there's been been some gross... Thank you again, Loki. Thank you. We're trying to do less pushing of the microphone this episode, but (laughs) Loki's not having it. So... I think that my grossest corner, I don't know yet, because we haven't seen the whole episode, but the last time it was Harold, and there's some body stuff that's gross and that we've seen, you know, some bulbous things, but man, it's still Harold. It's still Harold, because he's the worst, but this time he hasn't done anything to be the worst, but maybe he will in this episode. We'll see. Yeah. Larry's been more gross so far. Larry's pretty gross. That is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's continue. Nick Andros, played by the perfect, perfect Rob Lowe. Did you say he's perfect because you found out he was deaf in one ear? Well, no, I mean, that just made him more perfect. <laughs> but everyone knows that Rob Lowe is perfect. That's just not even a question. But what I mean is that he's doing this, like, his character, the, Nick Andros in the book, 
is strong and fit. He's like been a field hand going from town to town, but he's deaf and he can't speak. And but he, you know, he has ways of getting around that. Yeah. And he's a but and he's a decent person. He's a really decent person. And when he goes into this town in Oklahoma and finds Tom. Yeah. And Tom is a like six foot three blonde huge dude that's simple minded. Yeah. Um, and the dropped thing, out of school in third grade and can't read at all anymore. Yeah, he can't. M O O N. M O O N spells can't read. And the look on Nick's face when he sees this kid, this guy, this man. But in the book, he talks about being disappointed because he had hoped it was a like a, someone that could help, but instead it's someone that he needs to help. And he doesn't really have a split decision of whether or not to take him. He decides to, but you know, accept that it's. He accepts that it's going to be harder with him yeah but in the in the perfect rob Lowe gets it totally and everything about his body language is well i can't leave this guy behind he's grieving his dead mother who he doesn't realize that everyone didn't go to kansas city john no they didn't go to kansas city they're dead in their houses and this and this, he's created in in the show he's like created a mannequin town yeah, because he missed everybody. He went to the mannequin factory and made, like, a town full of people. Yeah. Because everyone was gone and left him behind to Kansas to go to Kansas City. Yep. And it's just, like, you were saying something right before I pressed pause. Yeah, it, you feel so much more sympathetic for him. Being able to see his face mm-hmm. when he says that everybody left except for his mom got a bad cold and died but he just says how lonely he is and it's and you look at these mannequins it's heartbreaking because it's been like three weeks yeah he hasn't seen a person in three weeks and when everyone left to kansas city they didn't necessarily leave to kansas city there's still a bunch of cars here yeah they might have just died in their houses yeah. And in the book, I actually thought they left it. When I read the book, I kind of like went over that part. I didn't realize that, oh. There might have been a survivor or two that did go to Kansas City and yeah. left him be kind because he would be yeah. more difficult to bring than to leave behind. Yeah, more difficult to manage. And it's just so sad. It is so sad. And then Rob Lowe like, gets this look on his face of like, well, this is going to make things more difficult, but this is what we're doing. And he's got a bicycle. Yeah. Now... Tom has also dreamt of the lady in the corn. And Randall Flagg. And Randall Flagg. And he does not want to go to Randall Flagg because nope. that guy is spooky and she does not think that he's really a man. Nope. The one guy who's supposed to be like the slowest guy in the bunch is the one who knows that Randall Flagg is not a man. Yes. Everyone else knows he's a scary man, but... Yes, but he, he's he like, knows nope. he's not a man. Yeah, that's just creepy. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and... When he, I don't think we talked about when he released the prisoner, that he coyly coins himself as the devil mm-hmm. by using a reference to Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. Yes. Where he says, uh, Pleased to meet you. I hope you guessed my name. Which is a lyric that the devil says in Sympathy for the Devil. And he's like, oh, nothing. That's just a classical term. That's one of the coolest things about you. Just like you hear a, a sent like a half a sentence, and you're like, "Oh, this is a clear reference to this thing, which is a great movie pun." It's like how that's amazing that you could do that. It's so cool. Uh, a wealth of useless information. But it's not useless because now you're saying it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it was useless for 
many, many years. Up and this now. all coalesced into this. Everything has led to this podcast. Yeah. Years of just listening to music and... Yeah. Our entire relationship. Obsessing over music. Everything. I got a doctorate <laughs> and then, you know, just to lead here and talk about... Randall Flag not being a man. Now, we had paused in a field of corn. I hope that means we get to meet a nice Mother Abigail and not too many rats. Oh, God, I hate Harold so much. Oh, he's even worse now than he is in the book. No, he's terrible in the book. But yeah. this is like, they had to miss out on a lot of stuff with him. But the, how do they represent him as being the biggest douche nozzle in the world? He looks like he stole Rob Halford's jacket. <laughs> He's wearing the most ridiculous motorcycle outfit. It's like a, it, as if a 16-year-old nerd that thought he'd be cool one day made it at home. You know, put a lot of like big bedazzling on it. Oh, it looks bad. It looks so bad. And he's so immediately aggressive and well, douchey. His chances with Molly Ringwald just dropped in half because there's another guy. There's there's actually technically well, two other guys who I think... Dropped in a third. She would probably go for the 80-year-old man before... <laughs> long, long before. Because when he was the only other man in the world, they were still friends. So his wow. chance of nothing, or at least like five years down the road when she's just totally desperate, has just gone out the window. Because yeah. it's Gary flipping Sinise... In tight jeans and a tight white t-shirt. Yeah. And this guy is P.O.'d. Yeah, if you get friend zone in the apocalypse, you're a piece of shit. I know, because the thing is, it's like, you should have known you didn't have a chance with Molly Wingwald. And he took his chance when the day that her father died and she just buried him. Yes. That's when he shot his shot. Yeah, he's not, uh, he's not very smooth. And the thing is, it's like we've got this guy and Larry Underwood, and Larry Underwood tries to push for the sex a couple times, and is too pushy, and that's shitty. Yeah. But friend, the kind of guy that complains about the friend zone, which is that Larry Underwood, or I'm sorry, like Harold, is friend zone guy number thousand, number one, first in the forums to say why he's an incel and why all these these femboids owe him sex, and. I don't... Like, this is way worse. He's so bad. Yeah. Like, you could tell Gary Sinise already does not like him as well. Like, you, Gary Sinise learned everything he needed to know about this kid from his body posture getting off. It's pretty easy to... Like, and he and Molly Ringwald had a little lick. Yeah. You can, you can see that coming a mile away. And the way they're looking at each other, the body language, and it's like, these two have good chemistry. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Gary Sinise is like, I've seen you in 16 Candles and Breakfast Club. And, and she's like, you're Gary flipping Sinise. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. And freaking Harold over here in his goddamn jacket. It's so bad. It's really, really, really bad. Oh, and his pants. We even got into them. So he's wearing these pants that have, like, striped on them. And I guess they're leather as well. Which you can't be comfortable. Here's another thing. It's July. Yeah, and where did he get these from? They obviously got, went to, like, they got their motorcycles from somewhere. So the idea is that he, I mean, they can stop at any store. Yeah. Which I is know. another interesting about thing about this apocalypse where, like, there's infinity food because there's so few people. Or at least it's not a problem yet. Not yet. Like, in Walking Dead, it becomes a problem later, but you also have to deal with zombies. There's, and there's a lot more people in yeah. Walking Dead. 
Yeah. Too many more. Yeah. <laughs> it's killed them all. No, but, uh, you know, we don't have that many people here. It is wild that Harold got to live. But Speaking of Walking Dead, I know I've referenced Negan a lot. Yeah. But wouldn't Negan as Randall Flagg have been oh. brilliant? He would. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan is great. And I think he would do a great Randall Flagg. I think he'd be brilliant, but I also think that that would take away from his Negan performance if that's just the character no, he I was. Meant, I meant not have Randall Flagg at all. Oh. Have a crossover. Just have actual Negan? Yes. Because, you know, I got far enough ahead where, like, he starts this organization, and, like, the people he's crucifying aren't all good people. He's crucifying his own people for not following rules. Like Negan. Like Negan. Like, liter- actual crucifixion. Yeah. And making them do it to each other, and like the rules of like no drugs, but you guys are the bad guys, and you have all these rules. So yeah, I think that that would be an interesting crossover. Maybe they based Negan off of Randall Flag. It's possible. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of like crossover the bad, between The Stand and The Walking Dead. The bad guys always have rules. I bet that I bet that The Stand was a like an inspiration in some ways. To the I, might Walking have, Dead. I might have to look that up for episode or part three of this yeah because yeah there is a lot of it's it's even shot very similarly mm-hmm. but i know i know walking dead started out as a cartoon well but, it um, wasn't a cartoon i mean not a cartoon a, a comic an, book an an a graphic novel yes and no it was a series no, of comic books comic or graphic, book. yeah but you've read the the compilations yeah i've read the first couple and it's wildly different than the uh the tv series mm-hmm but this is shot so similarly that I keep thinking that the dead people are going to just, like, grab onto somebody. I know. There was a around. great scene where Larry Underwood is walking down the... He's walking in the Lincoln, the Lincoln Tunnel. Tunnel. Yeah. And he, his foot steps over a hand that he doesn't see. And you just expect that hand to grab him. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's shot like The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. The bodies are... They look like the walk. You know... Before they become zombies. Yeah. You know, the disease looks similar to the stand disease. Yes. And they're all positioned the same way, kind of like leaning in a corner somewhere. Or, yeah. Or laying against their car dashboard. Yep. And you just can't wait. And then you get pieces of crap like, I mean, all these characters as well. Sometimes, And this is a very interesting thing. Like, we got Stu here. All around good guy Stu. We got Molly Ringwald. Well, there's there's a clear line of delineation between the good and the bad in this show. Yeah, I mean, even this. except Larry Underwood, I think is the most in between yeah. character because you can see, and that's a really fascinating thing about the book. And he get, goes through this in his own mind, where he's neither, and his mother like rips him a new one with this too, where she tells him like you're neither, you're not bad, he's, but you're not good either. He's chaotic good. He's chaotic, good, tottering into evil sometimes. Like, yeah. that's like like pushing someone to have sex is in the evil side of it. But at the time, I mean, but like, men are often told that no means yes. I mean, that, yeah. and that, I mean, we know that that's not good. But then, like, if, if you live in a culture where that, like, no means yes stuff is all around all the but time. He does bad things, but in the end, his final choice is good. Yes. Like with Nadine, he's like, screw you, I'm just going to take off without you. And then he heard her voice and he ran back for her. Yeah, and then he tried to make sure she was okay. He tried to rape her. 
Well, I don't know if he tried to rape her. He tried to have sex with her. Yeah. She said no, and then he stops. Eventually. Eventually. Like, yeah. he makes a string of bad decisions, and then a good decision at the end. Yeah, and then <laughs> she leaves. Not because he tried to do that, but because she has to keep her virginity for Randall Flagg. Yeah, and she knows she would have boned him. If yeah, she she, if she had stayed. If she couldn't keep her her celibate promise to Randall Flagg... I don't think she knows, but I also think that she just has to get away because she's got this thing in her mind. But, like, because Randall Flagg told her to leave. But the look on his face when he's alone in the tent and he realizes he's all alone... Yeah, he looked pretty uh, ...is so scared. desperately sad and that of a little boy. Even though he's not, he's a grown man, but, like, I think th- he's a very... He's never, Interesting character. He has never been alone and never had to fend for himself. Nope. He had his mom, and then he went to L.A., and he became a star, and he had people kowtowing to him. And and then he was had people taking advantage of him because he's an idiot, and he's just having huge parties. Yep. And then he goes back home because he needs to, like, go back to his mom. He's like SpongeBob when SpongeBob got rich. <laughs> I know you don't know that reference. No, but, I don't. But we've met the voice of Patrick Starr. Who plays Tom. Tom. Yeah. So it's all very interesting, but... There's Spongebob tie-ins to the stand. I Who can't known? imagine there's anything grosser. More gross? Anything more gross than... Is gross or Fucking Harold right now. Is grosser a word? I think... So. Well, the it problem... sound right. When you have, like, um, like, the rules in English about whether it is more something or you put an E-R has to do with, like, the length of the word. But I was thinking of gross as that with G-R-O-S-S-E. It's long enough that it would be grosser. <laughs> okay. Um, if it's too, yeah. Just anyway. like, just like the nine-year-old grammar corrected the seventeen-year-old over funner, and I was <laughs> like, "I'm so proud of you." Yeah. Because <laughs> funner is a pet peeve of mine. I know, but we got to work on the nine-year-old correcting everybody all the time because that's not a way to make no, friends. No, no, but it was funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you laugh at that stuff, and then she keeps doing it, and then people don't want to play with her. Yeah. I mean, not that that's happening right now, but... He just does it to her older siblings. How do you know? I don't know for sure, but she makes tons of friends at school and friends everywhere she goes. That's true. She makes that. She finally came out of her shell after, like, day two, and she played so hard yesterday that I had to send you off to find her because she'd been gone for three hours, and (laughs) it's like, can you go get my daughter? She's missing, and it's almost fireworks. I had seen her a bunch of times. I know. I had seen her, too. She kept coming back and forth and stuff like that. But I was just like, she's got to come back. It's it's 1030 at night. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I can't believe I made friends on the last day we're here. Yeah, those little girls were pretty cool. I ran into them in the uh, in the bathroom before she met them. And one of them turns to me and she says, we're making a water slide. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you have any children, send them our way. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and so speaking of less chaotic she was the, the little girls actually i think were more successful in their water fly water slide than the boys because half of the boys wanted to make a dirt slide and half of the boys wanted to make a water slide so they made a mud slide <laughs> oh and probably a lot of the older ladies at the park made mud slides <laughs> like those drinks yeah there was like halua and like whipped cream and stuff i, don't know. I always it was way too hot for a mudslide last night i don't know anybody under the age of 50 that ever drank a mudslide i can't remember if i've ever ordered one i think i've wanted to okay let's let's continue but harold is the absolute fucking worst i hate him so much and I, we were stuck with him for but the thing is, this actor. Let me give props to the actor. Yeah, to make to make you hate him so quickly oh. and so wholly. Because he's a turd. 
Like, it's yeah. like, he's basically number one prime example of Nietzsche's resentment. You know, it's like this resentment of someone that's weak, and he resents people that are strong, and he thinks he's better than them, not because of anything about himself, but because it must be evil to be strong and good. So basically, Gary Sinise, Gary Sinise represents this jock type, therefore he must be bad, because I'm good, because I'm not that. It's so such resentment, and the worst thing ever, bad faith rolled into one, I hate it. They're chaps. He's wearing chaps. He's the worst, and I hate him. Harold is the worst. Oh. He's the worst. He's the worst. He is the worst. He forces them all to go to Stovington. They go to Stovington, and as they walk out of the place, he just immediately pukes because he's a little bitty bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they do get to drink some delicious beer. They do. Time Stoop for Brewers Brews. Stu pulls out PBR. One of my all-time favorites. It's strange that um, 10 years ago, when I would pull out a PBR, I was called an old man. Why are you <laughs> drinking that old man beer? And like overnight, it was like drinking that hipster beer. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? <laughs> it's delicious. And people found out, like, this has been around for 100 years because it's, it's really delicious. It's popular in Philly when I was living there 10 years ago. Um, but like you could get this thing called a, a citywide and it would be a PBR and a shot of whiskey. And it the citywide was the same everywhere in Philly. Like you can go, I don't know if it's the same now, it might be something else, but if you go, you get, if you ask for a lager, you get Yingling. And if you ask for a citywide, you get a PBR, a tall can of PBR and a shot of whiskey. And it's usually the cheapest thing on the menu, but it does get your night going. I remember when I discovered how delicious PBR was. Mm -hmm. When I first worked on the overnight shift many years ago, we used to go to the bar at 7.30 in the morning on Friday. Ooh. That was our weekend night. It was everybody else's morning. But there was one bar in town that served 40 ounces. And 40 ounces? Yep. Seems like too many ounces. No, it was enough. It was perfect. But... My usual, they were out. And I said, well, what else do you have in 40s? And they're like, PBR. And I'm like, okay, well, I want a 40, so. And oh, because that's like less than four beers. That's like three beers in a bit. Yeah, because it was summertime, and we they had a horseshoe pit out back. Yeah. So we'd order a 40, and then you could go back and play a couple games of horseshoes before you finished your beer and have to go back for another one. <laughs> another 40? Of course. <laughs> so, but they gave me a PBR, and I was like, this is... A million times better than everything I've ever drank. I assume then. you're talking about these bars that are around here that you can just walk to. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. This bar closed a long time ago. Yeah. It was called the Silver Dollar, and I remember it very fondly. It sounds the about... I bet in my mind the way I'm expecting, I'm thinking of this place is exactly what it was. It just was pretty grungy. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. You would go to the bathroom for fresh air because it smelled like vomit all the time. <laughs> But they had 40s, a great jukebox, and horseshoe pits in the back. Nice. So we'd That's go there every cool. Friday morning. That's and all really the old timers cool. in there drinking coffee would be all pissed because we'd be blasting Metallica. <laughs> would they be in the horseshoes. bar drinking coffee? Yeah. Oh, because you were there a, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. There was always a few old timers there drinking coffee nights. in the morning. Yeah. And we were back there drinking 40s and making a ruckus. 
<laughs> and now you eat cereal and go to bed when you get home from your night shift. I oh, am, how the turns have tabled. I'm an old man. <laughs> old man McGuffin. McGucket. <laughs> but I'll still drink PBR, and you can call me a hipster or an old man. I don't care. So, well, if we're going to do a Brewer's Brews, yeah. let's talk about what you had this week. We're, we're recording this in the afternoon, oh, yeah. so we, we're not brewing. I'm having... You know, some oh, actually, I'm having some very tasty Perrier l'orange. It's a very fancy orange thing that is left over from camping, so it's room temperature, but it still tastes kind of like oranges. It's quite nice. Yeah, well, I drank a lot of different kinds this weekend, but you like know, a, there's I think one big one hams I drank a lot of. That's the one that's in your heart, yeah, hams and PBR. And there's a reason these beers have been around for as long as they have, even though they're cheap, and people will knock them and say, they're, Oh, well, they're not. They're not Bells or Founders, but no, they've been here forever. I'd be interested to do a blind taste test. Let's do this. With oh. Hams, PBR, Bud Light, and maybe like Miller Light. For you to taste test these or for me? For you. Oh, I could. Uh, we both can do it. I'd have zero problem picking them up. You would? Zero problem. Because it's not just picking them out, but you also have to rate it. Oh, yeah. I could. Yeah, it would be super easy. Okay. Because, I mean,. Miller Light and Bud Light. The thing is, like, who drinks Budweisers? I've know. never had a Budweiser. Well, I, my first beer I ever had was a Budweiser, but and then you just drink Bud Light. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't like Bud Light. I don't like light beer in general. Okay, well, we'll try Miller High Life, and we'll try Budweiser, Hams, and PBR. And write to us if you if you think of something else you want us to try. We'll, we'll do a beer taste test in the next recording. Let's do the next recording. Yeah. The next recording of The Stand, we're going to need it. This weekend, we're actually going to a hotel to watch it. It's going to be quite nice. Uh, we're going on a little husband-wife retreat with some friends to a hotel. Um, well, friends may or may not come, but we'll definitely be there. But uh, I think, how would you tell people to contact us if they want to recommend us to, for this beer taste test? Well, you can email us at uptoandincludingdeath at gmail.com. Okay. At any of uh, the socials, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, with up to and ID with the number two. Yeah. Or go directly to up to and including death.com where you get contact info and links to the socials. I'm Correct? especially interested. I, I'm interested in hearing from anybody. If you're my family member, like Chucky, you could text me. <laughs> but I don't think we'll have to. Chucky, specifically, this is for you. Uh, we're going to have to do a truly taste test, like on a different one, like when you and I are together and we could do it, a, a live taping when we were in Savannah visiting. <laughs> but for everybody else, I'd be interested to see some of these New York listeners that we have suddenly a lot of for some reason, which welcome again. Maybe it's the stand. Maybe people from New York like the stand. Well, it does take place a big chunk of it in New York City. Yeah. With uh, Larry Underwood yeah. and Nadine. All right, so we just left uh, the, I guess it's the hospital in Stovington. It doesn't look like it, but I think it's because the shot is super close to the front of the building. Um, so we're going to probably go off to Nebraska pretty soon. Also, I hate Harold so much. He is the worst. Yes, he is by far the worst. He's taken off the jacket, but I don't know if it's going to come back on soon. We just met Zoan. That is batshit insane. Yeah, she has gone crazy. Yes. Well, she might not have been the most there in the first place, but it is, now that I'm thinking about it again, kind of a representation of, yeah, you would go nuts if you were the only one in your town left alive for weeks and weeks. 
Yeah. If you're already a little mentally unstable, yeah. and you're just the only one there for three weeks. And your entire support system is dead. And yeah, you can give whatever you want. So basically, the beautiful and perfect Nick Andros slash Rob Lowe uh, has come to a pharmacy because old Tom Cullen ate too many crab apples. Now he has a, a sore tum-tum. And so he's gone to a, for a pharmacy to get some Pepsid. Pepto-Bismol. Pepto-Bismol. And so he meets this woman there who is excited to see him, but she's like, of course, I meet a man that's deaf and dumb and blah, blah, blah. So obviously not very cool, but she wants yeah. to make sweet, sweet love to him. Yeah, and then she's making fun of Tom. Yeah, and so he doesn't want to. Now, in the book, they do make sweet, sweet love. Oh. Because she basically does the exact same thing that Larry Underwood does. Where she pushes him and pushes him and pushes him, so he does. And he finds out later that he's 17, and he's, like, grateful that she's at least 17. <laughs> it's like, well, but it's the apocalypse, and he's Rob freaking low, and also 25 in the book. He's like, or 22 or something like that, so he's not that old. And I think this is why Rob Lowe is perfect in general, because in this new version of it, he doesn't sleep with her. And it's not that she doesn't call Tom bad names until after he sleeps with her she basically sees him and just pounces on him and, and they have sex right away yeah. um and then the same thing happens where she goes crazy she tells tom that the medicine is poison and he shouldn't eat it yeah which is just just mean for mean's sake it's mean for mean's sake but can you imagine giving i mean the equivalent of a child you're trying to get a child to have some medicine yeah and someone tells the child that they should be scared of it, which is a normal thing. Like, people at school tell the kids stuff, and they get scared, or they see something on TikTok, and they're like, oh, no, what if I... Yeah, don't take this vaccine, or you'll get autism. Oh, no, we might get autism, guys. Like, shipped on sale, man. <laughs> and that's not an autism joke. I mean, that's just, like, it's our It's an anti-vaxxer always... joke. It's an anti-vaxxer joke, and also autism's always existed. And what are you saying? It's better to be dead than autistic? It's kind yeah. of messed up. Well, the test that they deemed it from was, we can't figure out why these kids got autism, but they all had vaccines. Yeah, but also we just, at, at the same time they started taking vaccines, we developed new tests for autism, and we realized that a bunch more people are autistic than we originally thought. But it's, but it's just been around forever. But every, like when we were kids, everybody got vaccinated. Yeah. So it's really easy to tie every disease that ever existed to vaccines. Yeah. Because everybody in the control group has had vaccines. It's yeah, there's no there's no control group here. And also, that study has never, ever, ever been replicated because it was hot garbage. Well, the doctor admitted that he was completely wrong, and he lied about it, so he'd continue getting funding. And no, not only that, he lied about it because he created a new vaccine for, like, measles. Yeah. And he didn't. it didn't need to exist because the MMR already existed. So he published a study to make the MMR vaccine look like it caused, caused autism... So that he could sell his stupid vaccine. Yeah. How messed up is that? And so, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, this we is Jenny McCarthy is a murderer. Um, so this lady is crazy. She's going to get them both. Um, but, you know, I feel a, a little bit more, just a touch. I feel less, now that I've been thinking about Larry Underwood more in this way, I feel less bad about her because she's clearly unhinged. I mean, not bad about her. I mean... I definitely in no way feel the same way about her than I do Harold. Right? Harold's the worst. Harold is the worst in with this veneer of sanity or veneer of nice guy nonsense, right? 
yeah. of protection, blah blahs. But this lady has just gone insane from being alone. Like, ba- like Nick was alone for a while, but then he found Tom, and this lady has been alone, maybe not used to ever being alone. Nick was used to being alone. He didn't yeah. like it, but he was used to it. But boy, man, I feel I, I kind of feel bad for her. I mean, I'm surprised that I do. She did, The actress does a really good job of portraying that, of someone that's just like, a person! <laughs> Also, yeah. <laughs> I haven't spoken out loud in a very long time, and I'm absolutely bananas. Um, yeah. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> they made it, John. They did. Well, some of them. Some of them have made it to Mother Abigail. Nick, who it's clear is very important... Yes. And Tom is there, and there's a really sweet scene that Mother Abigail sees of Nick fixing Tom's collar when they get there. Uh, the fellow that picked him up, whose name I don't remember, uh, who picked him up, picked up Nick and uh, Tom on the side of the road. And then there's a couple and a child, but they're not a family unit. In the book, it's clear that Gina, Gina's the girl, was found by them. Yes. And then the other two were just, you know, they met each other. Yeah. But you have all these people that are sort of recreating family units. Larry Underwood has now run into Lucy Cross and a boy named Joe. So we've got another family unit that's just been put together. Yep. No, not of, Lucy Cross, but Lucy is the name of the character. Yeah, none of these people, no, nobody who survived knew each other. Yeah. They're all strangers. Except for fucking Harold. Oh, yes, Harold. And perfect Molly Ringwald. Yeah. But none of them were, like, in a family or a couple or... Yeah, none of them were, like... There was no connection between the people that survived. Except for goddamn Harold. Except for Harold, who I think (laughs) survived out of spite. Which they also don't show... There's a couple things in the book that show a little bit more humanity to Harold, but he's still the worst. And I'm kind of glad they didn't show it in 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 the show, because that would have given more Harold time. Yeah. And I would hate to see that. I know. Yes. Okay. Let's keep going. Okay. I'm ready to talk about Abby. Okay. And so there is the trope of the magical Negro. Have you heard of this before? No. And so basically, it's it's a trope that you see in movies and television and books that has been going on for a long time. I know that it sounds like a very offensive thing. But I'm just going to click on the Wikipedia for this. So it's a support. So in the cinema of the United States, it's also in books, so not just cinema. Uh, the Magical Negro is a supporting stock character who comes to the aid of a white protagonist in a film. Magical Negro characters who often possess special insight or mystical powers have long been a tradition in American fiction. Uh, so film director Spike Lee actually is the one who came up with this like expression, right? Oh. And so it comes up, so this trope, and by the way, I'm reading from Wikipedia again, Dr. Wikipedia, as I tell my students. Um, so this comes up in a lot of movies like that, you, that we've heard of, like Green Mile, another Stephen King flick. You know, you've got a magical, a literal magical Negro and uh, a magical man. And The Shining, you've got a, a magic man that is protecting people, um, that he's protecting this white kid, but he talks about it, though. He 
talked about what am I doing up here protecting this white kid? And what I find interesting, I'm not, I don't want to be an apologist for Stephen King. And I'd be really interested to see what Stephen King has written about this character. But she's so human and she's so her own character. In the, in the dreams, she's kind of a magical character, right? She's like, come on, come on here and all your friends. Everyone has dreamed of her. And she knows what's going on, but she makes it clear that she talks to God. And that's why she knows what's going on. Yeah. And so, and everyone's seeing Randall Flagg, who's probably the devil in these dreams. And so it seems to me that it's uh, ha- twice as likely that everyone's having these dreams, not because of her, but because, and she says it in the book many times, and, and here too, God has chosen her as the lightning rod for all these people to come to. So they're seeing her in this dream, and she's coming along right yeah. and so i and so i know that she's magical and she's black no she's magical i mean she, but she's not but yeah. as she's just a woman here she has and she has an incredible amount of faith and but the dream stuff which is magical i don't think it's coming from her no because she didn't know they were dreaming about her no she's just like oh okay <laughs> but she knew because th- he said how did you know to come here yeah and they said, we've been dreaming about you. And she looked surprised. Yeah, and everybody's been dreaming about her specifically. It's not like she's done some voodoo to try to make her, to try to make people come no, to her. she didn't want to have a part of this. She's been asking God to take this cup from her. And yeah. so here she is in this scene that we have that's quite beautiful with her and Nick. And she's, they're leaving the house. And all of her stuff is packed up, you know. But she's 108 years old. Or 106 or something like that. And so she's lived in this house her whole life. And she gives Nick the story of her her father. And her father... A little bit of the story. In the book, it goes much further in. And he goes through the history of this... Really, of this family that kind of... It, she's the the daughter of the man who bought, you know, 60 acres, I think it was, back at that time. 60 acres in 1888. Yeah. Right? She was born on this land. And so she buys 16 acres in 1888. She's born on this land. And the father is able to become a member of the Grange, which is this sort of um, agricultural society there at the time in Nebraska. And he's the first black man to ever be a part of this agricultural society. And she actually goes and she sings at this agricultural society. And it's a huge deal because there's a bunch of racist people there. But they win everybody over. And the father splits up this property into four, which I've heard this story many times from my own grandmother, um, where these, you know, a larger farm off, if it gets split up between the kids, then it gets the smaller farm, smaller farm, smaller farm. So I think my grandmother's father's farm was 100 acres, and then it gets, you know, they sold theirs. But, you know, over time, these big properties, they have to get smaller and smaller. They get gobbled up in other places by other things. But she talks about how... Her brothers lost it, you know, she lived through the Great Depression, and the tax men came. And so the taxes every year, she, they'd have to take more, they would just come and take part of her property every year in order to pay the taxes, even though she's got these fields of corn. But, I mean, she's not <laughs> she's not doing anything with this, that corn, I imagine. But, yeah, there's nobody to till it. So it's really interesting that here's a character that not only is she not a, a shell character... She has a whole backstory that we're given, and I think it's incredibly important to hear the history of black farmers in America 
And it's in being from Georgia, you hear about sharecropping. I've never really heard about black farmers outside of Georgia because that's just being from Georgia. That's where you learn about them and you learn about the history of sharecropping. I've heard a little bit about the history of of um, taxation policies affecting people that have land in uh, in Louisiana. I've heard of redlining, which is a different thing in cities in which banks won't give like any loans for people that live in a certain area, which happen all, they won't give loan to black people basically or people of color. But there must be an interesting history of this type, sort of farming in the West, in the Midwest, which I'm curious to learn more about. Not that the population would be very mu- large in certain places and bigger in others, but anyway, I just think it's really interesting. Yeah. We have this, a character who is this kind of hub that's almost this trope. Yeah. But I kind of think that maybe The Shining, it's a little harder to say. Because the magical, the magic guy is talking to the magic kid. Yeah, they both have the shine. Yeah, they both have it, and that's why he takes so much time to go and help him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Dealing with this sort of trope is not really purview entirely of this podcast, but it is a, you know, here, she's not a black character that's helping all the white people survive, though I do wonder how many people of color there are going to be besides her, now that I think about it. Um, I don't recall. None of them are, are standing out to me. None I of the remember. bad guys have been anything else but white. Everyone no. else we've seen so far has been white. Um, so there, there might be an issue if she's the only black, I don't know, but we'll see. Okay. They said the name of the thing. They did. Help us to be true, dear Lord. Help us to stand. It was Mother Abigail who said it. Yep. Wow. Okay. They got the big conclusion to part two. July 17th. They've made it to Boulder. Yes. And no one else is, I mean, well, everyone else is coming right behind them, or a lot of other people are showing up pretty soon. Yeah. Um, the trash can man has made it to the casino where all the bad boys are staying. How appropriate for the bad boys to house up in Vegas. I know, right? The it's The city of sin. And, like, it, it makes so much sense because in the uh, in the book, I'm sure they're going to come into it next year, they, they're, like, they're trying to turn the water back on, so they have to go to, like, the dam, the Hoover Dam to try to get the water back on. <laughs> but it's, like... You guys could have not held up in the desert. Like, you could have gone a little bit further, like, east and gone to where water is. But it's, no. It's on brand for is the Is it, devil. like, Lake Tahoe not too far from there? It's it's a, lots of ways. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, I think that there's places that have running, not, like, a stream or something. But no, let's choose the desert, which this is desert town that only has water because it's pumped in. It's on brand. It's very on brand for the bad guys. I am excited to see this. It seems like in Boulder, Colorado, they got to make a stand. Yeah, right where the mountains start. Right where the mountain starts, because Randall Flagg has not made it over the Rockies yet. No, he was waiting for Trash Can Man. Yeah, I guess to blow stuff up. I don't know. Well, no, they just said the other guy who we broke out of prison said, mm-hmm. he'll be here. He's been waiting for this guy. Yeah. so it's he's a- something special. He's something special. It's pretty exciting. I'm excited to see what happens in part three. What is the name of part three? I'll have to look that up. So part one is the plague. 
Right, and that makes a lot of sense because, you know, what happens in part one? A plague. Yeah, and part two is called The Dreams, and why is that important? The dreams are what drew them all together. Yes, the dreams drew everyone together, good and bad. I don't know what I did with the cake. Oh, I think it's called The Betrayal, but I'm not sure. Yeah, the stand part three, The Betrayal. I have a suspicion... Of who's going to do the betraying. Okay. Fucking Harold. (laughs) I bet it's going to be motherfucking Harold. Let's do Gross's Corner. It's time for Gross's Corner. I think I've held it in enough. What do you think is Gross's Corner? Harold. Is is that actually your Gross's Corner for this episode? Well, there's not a whole lot that's going on that's gross. I'm going to say Trash Can Man's face (laughs) after walking through the desert. You know... Can we just give, like, a round of applause to the makeup people on this show? We said it last time, too, but, man, their special effects are good. Yeah. The makeup people, the the flaking of his skin, the the costume people, too. Yeah, he looks like he just walked through the desert. Whoever put that white tight shirt on Gary Sinise deserves an Emmy. Of course. <laughs> and whoever found the jacket for Harold. Also, that person. And the chaps. Oh my god, because of course Harold found chaps. Yeah. And I resent this rendition for giving me an image of Harold and chaps because you already get an image of his juicy butt in like in the book. Juicy butt. Because he's a fat boy that eats paydays. Because you know how like Stephen King likes to talk, say that basically if you eat candy bars and then you're fat. And I can't wait to get back to Franny and Gary Sinise. I hope that they survive Harold's bullshit and that Harold dies. Wow. Because we can't have him be... You don't want the bad guy at your back when you're going to do the stand against the devil in Colorado. I can tell you that right now. It's a terrible choice. And Harold's the worst. Harold is the absolute worst. Oh my gosh. So... We had Brewers Brews, mostly talking about the things that we were drinking this weekend. I'm currently drinking that Perrier Orange. You're drinking a lovely Diet Pepsi, yep. which is your kind of go-to. Uh, and so we've had Gross's Corner, which has never been more resoundingly disgusting. You know, we saw the bride in, in, in Ready or Not put her hand through a nail. We saw her body, her neck, get, her, neck her, her back get ripped apart. And that was not as disgusting. As Harold? As Harold is. As a human. I don't even know. I think we're going to have to start ranking these because Harold is number one most grossest corner of the grossest corner. So on a scale of one to Harold? Harold's the number. Yeah, because you can't even put them on a scale of one to ten. There's just like, how many Harold's is it? Oh, right. Okay. It's like, is it is it how close to Harold can you get? Because whatever number on the scale, it's going to have to be up there. So it would have to be like 0.1 to one one herald is the worst he's like a spider like you know like today we came home from camping and there's a a spider hanging out in our in our sink i assume you did something about that yeah we became friends and i took him out and we hung out and had a beer okay and okay but um so i of course i have a bit of phobia all my brothers do shout out to the gross boys and our phobia of spiders but for the most part we just kind of you know have one of two ways of dealing with it. We suck it up and we do it, or we just close the door and never go into that room again. That is the room that has our shower in it, so I didn't have that option. But that feeling of when I see the spider, of like, it's so awful and repellent, 
It's like that, except if the spider wanted to fuck you. Okay. You know, and it's like, and all the spider haters understand that it's just like a spider that wants to have sex with you, but doesn't want to ask you out normally. It's got to be an apocalypse when you're literally the last person on the planet. Ugh. Can we just, just give props to that actor for being the, the creepiest creep. There's a new rendition of this movie out, and I'd be curious to see it, but I'm definitely going to have to have a break from Harold. You know what I mean? If I if we see the new version of the stand-in, we got to wait a couple years, because I need to forget how much I hate Harold. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, it's like, with Harold, we haven't had enough Gary Sinise to offset it, but Stu's, but Gary, Sinise's, the, Gary Sinise, Sinise's character, Stu is not a really well he's not a very much of a talker in the book so it's like it makes normal sense but the problem is you have someone who's the absolute worst like you need you need rob we need rob Lowe. we need rob Lowe to go and deal with this person perfect rob Lowe (laughs) needs to deal with this situation (laughs) and if you need to know it's corin nemec who was playing harold good done you bud best known for playing Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Do you remember that show? No. Oh, that was on for three years. Oh, yeah? Looks like he's on a lot of sci-fi. Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Sand Shark, Sea Robocrack. Mosquito Man. Stargate SG-1, that's good. Yeah, he has a, a type. Yeah, he's got a type, and you know what? He does it super well, I bet. And I think we'll be seeing more of his movies, because I want to see Rotten Tail. I want to see Evil Doctor. And SS Doom Trooper, I want to see that as well. Those all sound really... I mean, you're yeah, showing... And then he was in Operation Dumbo Drop. I've seen that movie. I have seen it. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, there's a Girlfriend Killer. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah. Let's kill some girlfriends. Besties. Killer Bud. It looks like a half-baked ripoff. This guy great. has been in so many movies. Good for you, Oren. Corin. Corin. Good for you, Corin, for Who's being so good. Puppy Swap. And again, this is not at all on Corin. No, he did a wonderful job. He did a... This is the hardest thing when you play a character that is unredeemable. And that's the problem with Harold. Like, (laughs) he's a person that even when he does the right thing, he's skeevy and gross. He played Ted Bundy in a movie, so... Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I actually would like to see that because he's such a good... I mean, like, how hard is it to play this guy... And you're standing across from Gary Sinise, and you have to be Harold, and yet that doesn't sway Corin. Corin's like, no, I'm going to play the biggest play out of Harold. I'm going to be Harold. And he does such a good job. And I hate him, but I love the actor, but boy. Yeah. We got to see, maybe we can watch something else he's been in. At another time on our own, just so that we can, you know, wash the taste of Harold out of our mouths. A coronemic palate cleanser. (laughs) Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us on this particular recording. Next time, we're going to be watching part three. Yes. What was the name of part three again? I've already. Oh, the betrayal. Goddamn Harold. I assume I haven't gotten that far in the book. I'm about. I'm over halfway through. Um, which is already like two or three books worth of book, (laughs) but I'm over halfway through and I just, 
I just hate Harold, but he's literally, I think, was going to get a gun or something, uh, or thinking of slitting Franny's throat when I last saw Harold, uh, and then I put the book down because it was getting dark and it was time for fireworks last night, so I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to watch The Betrayal. Uh, between that time and this, we're going to be uh, recording a third episode of our Supernatural Watch podcast. That's going to be fun. Do you know what fun. episode three is called offhand? What is episode three called of Supernatural? Man, I should really know oh, this. Oh, I thought you'd have it on the tip of your tongue. I don't know the episode names. Uh, let's see. Episode three, Supernatural. I'm going to edit this and make it seem like... Oh, Dead in the Water. That is a good episode. And it takes place in the daytime, which is nice. Because not all the episodes... <laughs> like, we've had two very dark... Like, you know, Supernatural is a dark show. But, like, just physically dark... And hard to see episodes, but the, we get we get a, it's on a lake. It's a beautiful, pristine lake. Let me show John the picture from the from the show. Very okay. beautiful, very nice lake. We were just at such a very nice lake ourselves in Lake Baraga, uh, and uh, I'm excited to record that episode with you. Did you say Lake Baraga? Lake, what is it? The Kiwana Bay. Kiwana Bay of Lake Superior. Yeah. Kiwana Bay of Lake Superior is where we were yesterday in Baraga. <laughs> in. <laughs> yes. Well, I just didn't want you to be interact. You know what you don't say? It's Baraga. No. People no. hate it when you say that. And your son, he's your son when he does stuff like this. Christian, my son too, just wouldn't stop saying, "Oh, we're going to go back to to Camp Baraga. We're going back to Baraga, guys." Over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. Stay scared. And stay married. Goodbye. The intro and outro of our podcast is Fire and Ice Rock Mix by Stefan Kartenberg. Copyright 2017. Licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. Thank you, Stefan.